0: Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. The title is The Power of Christ Illustrated by the Resurrection, and we'll do part one today. The text is Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, which says, For our conversation is in heaven our way of life. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I should mislead you if I called these verses my text, for I intend only to lay stress upon the closing expression I read the two verses because they are needful for its explanation. It would require several discourses to expound the whole of so rich a passage as this. Beloved, how intimately is the whole of our life interwoven with the life of Christ? His first coming has been to us salvation, and we are delivered from the wrath of God through him. We live still because He lives, and never is our life more joyous than when we look most steadily to Him. The completion of our salvation in the deliverance of our body from the bondage of corruption, in the raising of our dust to a glorious immortality, that also is wrapped up with the personal resurrection and quickening power of the Lord Jesus Christ. As His first advent, had been our salvation from sin, so his second advent shall be our salvation from the grave. He is in heaven, but as the apostle says, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We have nothing, we are nothing, apart from him. The past, the present, and the future are only bright as he shines upon them. Every consolation, every hope, every enjoyment we possess, we have received and still retain because of our connection with Jesus Christ our Lord. Apart from him, we are naked and poor and miserable. I desire to impress upon your minds, and especially upon my own, the need of our abiding in him. As zealous laborers for the glory of God, I am peculiarly anxious that you may maintain daily communion with Jesus, for as it is with our covenant blessings, so is it with our work of faith and labor of love. Everything depends upon him. All our fruit is found in Jesus. Remember his own words, without me you can do nothing. Our power to work comes wholly from His power. If we work effectually, it must always be according to the effectual working of His power in us and through us. In the text, notice, first of all, the marvel to be wrought by our Lord at His coming, and then gather from it in the second place, helps to the consideration of the power which is now at this time proceeding from Him, and treasured in him and then thirdly contemplate the work which we desire to see accomplished and which we believe will be accomplished on the ground of the power resident in our lord first we have to ask you to consider believingly the marvel which is to be wrought by our lord at his coming when he shall come a second time he will change our vile body and fashion it like unto his glorious body. What a marvelous change. How great the transformation, how high the ascent. Our body in its present state is called, in our translation, a vile body. But if we translate the Greek more literally, it is much more expressive. For there we find this corporeal frame called the body of our humiliation. Not this humble body, that is hardly the meaning, but the body in which our humiliation is manifested and enclosed. This body of our humiliation our Lord will transform until it is like unto his own. Here, read not alone his glorious body, for that is not the most literal translation, but the body of his glory, the body in which he enjoys and reveals his glory. Our Savior had a body here in humiliation. That body was like ours in all respects, except that it could see no corruption, for it was undefiled with sin. That body in which our Lord wept and sweat great drops of blood and yielded up his spirit was the body of his Humiliation. He rose again from the dead, and he rose in that and the same body which ascended up into heaven, but he concealed its glory to a very great extent, else had he been too bright to be seen of mortal eyes. Only when he passed the cloud and was received out of sight did the full glory of his body shine forth to ravish the eyes of angels and of glorified spirits then was it that his countenance became as the sun shining in its strength now beloved whatever the body of jesus may be in his glory our present body which is now in its humiliation is to be conformed unto it jesus is the standard of man in glory and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is Here we dwell in this body of our humiliation, but it shall undergo a change in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Then shall we come into our glory, and our body, being made suitable to the glory state, shall be fitly called the body of glory." We need not curiously pry into the details of the change, nor attempt to define all the differences between the two estates of our body, for it doth not yet appear what we shall be, and we may be content to leave much to be made known to us hereafter. Yet, though we see through a glass darkly, we nevertheless do see something, and would not shut our eyes to that little We know not yet as we are known, but we do know in part, and that part knowledge is precious. The gates have been ajar at times, and men have looked awhile and beheld and wondered. Three times at least human eyes have seen something of the body of glory. The face of Moses, when he came down from the mount, shone so that those who gathered round him could not look thereon, and he had to cover it with a veil. In that lustrous face of the man who had been forty days in high communion with God, you beheld some gleams of the brightness of glorified manhood. Our Lord made a yet clearer manifestation of the glorious body when he was transfigured in the presence of the three disciples. When his garments became bright and glistering, whiter than any fuller could make them, and he himself was all aglow with glory. His disciples saw and marveled. And then the face of Stephen is a third window, as it were, through which we may look at the glory to be revealed. For even his enemies, as they gazed upon the martyr in his confession of Christ, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Those three transient gleams of the morning light May serve as tokens to us to help us to form some faint idea of what the body of the glory of Christ and the body of our own glory will be. Well, turning to that marvelous passage in the Corinthians, wherein the veil seems to be more uplifted than it ever had been before or since, we learn a few particulars worthy to be rehearsed. The body, while here below, is corruptible. Subject to decay. It gradually becomes weak through old age. At last it yields to the blows of death, falls into the ground, and becomes the food of worms. But the new body shall be incorruptible. It shall not be subject to any process of disease, decay, or decline. And it shall never, through the lapse of ages, yield to the force of death. For the immortal spirit, it shall be the immortal companion. There are no graves in heaven. No knell ever saddened the new Jerusalem. The body here is weak, the apostle says it is sown in weakness. It is subject to all sorts of infirmities in life, and in death loses all strength. It is weak to perform our own will, weaker still to perform the heavenly will. It is weak to do and weak to suffer, but it is to be raised in power, all infirmity being completely removed. How far this power will be physical and how far spiritual, we need not speculate. Where the material ends and the spiritual begins, we need not define. We shall be as the angels, and we have found no difficulty in believing that those pure spirits excel in strength nor in understanding, Peter, when he says that angels are greater in power and might, our body shall be raised in power. Here, too, the body is a natural or soulish body, a body fit for the soul, for the lowest faculties of our mental nature. But according to the apostle in the Corinthians, it is to be raised a spiritual body, "...adapted to the noblest portion of our nature, suitable to be the dwelling place and the instrument of our newborn grace-given life. This body at present is no assistance to the spirit of prayer or praise. It rather hinders than helps us in spiritual exercises. Often the spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is weak. We sleep when we ought to watch. We faint when we should pursue." Even its joys, as well as its sorrows, tend to distract devotion. But when this body shall be transformed, it shall be a body suitable for the highest aspirations of our perfected and glorified humanity, a spiritual body likened to the body of the glory of Christ. Being sinless, the body, when it shall be raised again, shall be painless. Who shall count the number of our pains while in this present house of clay? Truly, we that are in this tabernacle do groan. And does it not sometimes appear to the children of sickness as if this body were fashioned with a view to suffering? As if all its nerves, sinews, veins, pulses, vessels, and valves Were parts of a a curious instrument upon which every note of the entire gamut of pain might be produced? Patience, ye who linger in this shattered tenement, a house not made with hands, awaits you. Up yonder no sorrow and sighing are met with. The chastising rod shall fall no longer when the faultiness is altogether removed. As the new body will be without pain, so will it be superior to weariness. The glory body will not yield to faintness, nor faint or fail through languor. Is it not implied that the spiritual body does not need to sleep when we read that they serve God day and night in his temple? In a word, the bodies of the saints, like the body of Christ, will be perfect. There shall be nothing lacking, and nothing faulty. If saints die in the feebleness of age, they shall not rise thus. Or if they have lost a sense or a limb or are halt or maimed, they shall not be so in heaven. For as to body and soul, they are without fault before the throne of God. We shall be like him. That's true of all the saints. And hence none will be otherwise than fair and beautiful and perfect. The righteous shall be like Christ. My imagination is not able to give you a picture of the transformation, but those who will be alive and remain at the coming of the Son of God will undergo it, and so enter glory without death. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, and therefore the bodies of living believers shall in the twinkling of an eye Pass from the one state into the other. They shall be transformed from the vile to the glorious, from the state of humiliation into the state of glory by the power of the coming Savior. The miracle is amazing if you view it as occurring to those who shall be alive when Christ comes. Reflect, however, that a very large number of the saints when the Lord shall appear a second time, will already be in their graves. Some of these will have been buried long enough to have become corrupt. If you could remove the mold and break open the coffin lid, what would you find but foulness and putrefaction? But those moldering relics are the body of the saint's humiliation, and that very body is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ's glorious body. Admire the miracle as you survey the mighty change. Look down into the loathsome tomb, and if you can endure it, gaze upon the putrid mass. This, even this, is to be transformed into Christ's likeness. What a work is this! And what a Savior is he who shall achieve it. Go a little further. Many of those whom Christ will thus raise will have been buried so long that all trace of them will have disappeared. They will have melted back into the common dust of earth, so that if their bones were searched for, not a vestige of them could be found, nor could the keenest searcher after human remains detect a single particle. They have slept in quiet through long ages in their lonely graves until they have become absorbed into the soil as part and parcel of Mother Earth. No, there is not a bone, nor a piece of a bone left. Their bodies are as much one with earth as the drop of rain which fell upon the wave is one with the sea. And yet shall they be raised. The trumpet call shall fetch them back from the dust with which they have mingled, and dust to dust Bone to bone the anatomy shall be rebuilded and then refashioned. Does your wonder grow? (laughs) And does not your faith accept with joy the marvel, and yet feel it to be a marvel nonetheless? Son of man, I will lead thee into an inner chamber more full of wonder yet. There are many thousands of God's people to whom a quiet slumber in the grave was denied. They were cut off by martyrdom. They were sawn asunder, cast to the dogs. Tens of thousands of the precious bodies of the saints have perished by fire. Their limbs have been blown in clouds of smoke to the four winds of heaven, even the handful of ashes which remained at the foot of the stake. Their relentless persecutors have thrown into rivers to be carried to the ocean and divided to every shore. Some of the children of the resurrection were devoured by wild beasts in the Roman amphitheatres, or left a prey to ravens on the gibbet. In all the sorts of ways have the saints' bodies been hacked and hewn, and as a consequence. The particles of those bodies have no doubt been absorbed into various vegetable growths, and having been eaten by animals, have mingled with the flesh of beasts. But what of that? What of that, say you? How can these bodies be refashioned? By what possibility can the selfsame bodies be raised again? I answer it needs a miracle to make any of these dry bones live and a miracle being granted, impossibility vanishes. He who formed each atom from nothing can gather each particle again from confusion. The omniscient Lord of Providence tracks each molecule of matter and knows its position and history as a shepherd knows his sheep. And if it be needful to constitute the identity of the body, to regather every atom, he can do it. It may not, however, be needful at all. I do not assert that it will be, for there may be a true identity without sameness of material. Even as this my body is the same as that in which I lived 20 years ago, and yet in all probability there is not a grain of the same matter in it. God is able then to cause that the same body which on earth we wear in our humiliation, which we call a vile body, shall be fashioned like unto Christ's body. No difficulties, however stern, that can be suggested from science or physical law, shall for a single instant stand in the way of the accomplishment of this transformation by Christ the King. What marvels rise before me! Indeed, it needs faith, and we thank God we have it. The resurrection of Christ has forever settled in our minds beyond all controversy the resurrection of all who are in Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Still, it is a marvel of marvels, a miracle which needs the fullness of the deity. Of whom but God, very God of very God, could it be said, that he shall change our bodies and make them like unto his glorious body. Well, there are two other points that Mr. Spurgeon wishes to make, and we won't be able to do that this time. And the next time, if you're in real time with us here on uh, July the 15th, 2022, the next time we'll be talking about the persecuted church, and the time after that, too. But we will get back to part two of this message. I can't wait myself to share it with you. Well, thank you for listening. Do look around the site. This message is from Twelve Sermons on the Resurrection, a collection of Spurgeon messages. It's in the Charles H. Spurgeon Library that was published by the Baker Bookhouse in 1968. Yeah, there's still some copies out there somewhere. I hope you can find them if that's your desire. But this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, yes, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.